what is outdoor learning and why is it important in schools? Well, I've basically been thinking a lot about this and thinking the two sort of tracks. One is the outdoor education track, which is the more traditional, you know, learning skills like packing, climbing, build campfires, pitching tents, and that's more your traditional outdoor education. But along what you're talking about, I think, is education outdoors. And I think that one is the one that pretty much anyone at any school could do in some capacity, whether it's taking a literature or an art lesson out, outside or taking a music lesson outside. Basically, any sort of curriculum item can go out on the campus to an outdoor space or a nearby park or even on a weekend and get kids outdoors learning. So just getting outside and doing some sort of lesson, whether it's a traditional math lesson, but using you know natural areas or natural spaces. And I think why it's important and why I think I want to make the distinction is I find that a lot of teachers are really afraid of outdoor education. But if you tell them it's education outdoors, that might uh, ease their mind a bit and let them know that they can do it without special equipment, without special uh, training, just take their normal lesson outside. I suppose it's just reframing it slightly, I suppose, isn't it, to, for a... A bit more more sort of tangible, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Any other thoughts on that? You know, as we're gearing up for a week without walls experience, which is really increasingly common, uh, not new by any means, but common in international schools. You know, uh, when I think about this question, I think about my main talking points for parents about why they should be excited about letting us take their kids, um, sometimes out even out of the country for our high school students uh, for a week without walls trips, and and that's really uh, an opportunity to take healthy risks uh, and and uh, achieve that growth that happens best when kids are outside of their comfort zones. Um, you know, our students are often quite privileged in the international school setting, and uh, there's real opportunity to challenge them in a healthy way. Um, outdoor education and, and experiential learning works best, you know, when it has a clear purpose, whether that's tied to a curriculum goal um, or it, it's got a service or an adventure component. Um, and it gives kids an opportunity that may not be your traditional classroom academic stars uh, to really thrive in much the same way sports or the arts might. Um, and, and that's one of the huge payoffs or benefits that I see as we take kids um, outside of school. Um, I often show parents clips of graduation speeches from valedictorians when they talk about their week without walls trips and, and the impacts that they had on them uh, and sometimes accomplishing things that they didn't previously think they could do. Uh, and they carry those kind of skills and life lessons with them, I think, to be more confident young adults as they uh, not too long after that venture off to university. Fantastic. I think also we live um, in a, a society that has um, a higher ability to live a kind of sedate lifestyle. You know, you can work from a computer, you can work from an office, you can work from home. So much more these days. You go back just 20 years really and a lot more people um it was a lot more normal just to be outdoors kind of like what kenny and chris were saying you know um being educated outdoors it was more of a normal thing and now it's become more of a niche thing in some ways and i i think um with all the knowledge that we now have that mental health is connected to your physical health and your well-being and the outdoor spaces really contribute to that. 
it's important that um, certainly our young people, the next generation, um, grasp that and have a good understanding that their health is linked to the planet and vice versa. And being outdoors is a very healthy way of living your life. Um, I think um, I agree with uh, what everybody said. And uh, with the early years, I feel that children um, have the opportunity to be active and to have real life experience. Sometimes they stay indoors and with the pandemic, it was like they were locked inside their houses. And we noticed that behavior uh, improved a lot, children's engagement in the activities. Um, and the way we can um, give them different types of opportunities, right? And they are very young, so sometimes it's hard to go outside, but if we um, take the opportunity to take them to the outdoors of the school and enhance according to their interest and uh, explore the nature around, uh, it's amazing and it's a, a real life experience. So um, one of the... the the things we can get from outdoor learning. I think that it's uh, to bring real life to, to children's experience in school and developing skills. Fantastic. And we touched on some of the real key benefits there and, and sort of looking at um, from your different contexts and, and experiences, um, do sort of schools globally have a, have a sort of a dedicated in-house role for this? Do they use external suppliers solely or is it sort of a bit of a balance between the two as to how they integrate outdoor learning into into, into the um, institution, the curriculum, you know, what, what does that look like in your different contexts? Yeah, I could probably talk on this. Um, I've been an outdoor, a head of outdoor education in, in uh, different schools around the UK. And um, often schools um, will have a dedicated outdoor educator. Um, a lot of those roles are self-promoted so um and we all we've all seen this you know if there's a running club in the school it's often because one of the teachers is a runner and so you know they get they get the students involved so um those of us in leadership positions um you're you are sometimes are or you're not looking out for people to join your teaching cohort who have these extracurricular skills but sometimes um schools especially that maybe the state-led schools which have lower budgets they um they're just looking to get by and just looking to kind of pass the numbers um and get the job done and so a lot of the time the outdoor education and the extracurricular things in general can um be forgotten about or just kind of not be prioritized so often you need a champion in your school um even if you're using an outdoor provider Often you need somebody to kind of start that program in the first place, because as we all know, there's often a lot of um, paperwork that goes with it, especially regarding risk assessments and safety and policies and procedures. So um, with the busy life of teachers, it can be a very big job if the leadership of the school hasn't designated or employed somebody to do that job, uh, especially. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, I, I was just gonna add. I, I've definitely seen both, but I've seen more of a trend of schools getting an in-house outdoor education role, or maybe a global citizenship role, or maybe a sustainability 
type role and they often kind of fit together under outdoor ed or service learning. And it's usually one or two people like um, Matt was saying that are really dedicated. And the other part I've seen, like if you ha want to bring your whole grade level, like 200 kids at one time, you definitely have to find some out outdoor providers some third party providers. And especially if you want to do some adventures kayaking or rafting most schools aren't going to have that equipment or that training they're not going to have life jackets or rafts and they'll seek out a third-party provider and i think matt's exactly right like a lot of the role nowadays for an outdoor ed sort of role or position at a school is making sure that those third-party providers are up to snuff that they have risk assessments they've got standard operating procedures they've got policies they've got emergency uh, medicine training some sort of wilderness first aid and I'm seeing a, a bit more of both. I, you know, I think in the good old days, 20 years ago, I used to just get a group of kids and I'd get a bus and just go lead my own trips. But I don't think that happens as much anymore. I think more and more schools are getting that role. At least that's what I've seen in Southeast Asia. What about yourself, yeah. Daniela? Um, yeah, so I think that uh, most schools now, they have a balance. So they do have people um, um, responsible for organizing the trips in case it's an um, outdoor trip, but they also have suppliers. Here in Brazil, I know that depending on the um, number of students you're taking, you need um, a person that is trained um, as a tourist guide to accompany the trip as well. So. I think it also depends on government, but usually I can see that we have a, um, a balance between the two of them, outside and inside. Yeah, excellent. Any, any final thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, we, we rely heavily on external providers, you know, to be the risk assessors and the boots on the ground. You know, the people with a higher level of medical training than my average teacher is going to have. You know, they're really essential uh, in that because they know the areas that they work in and, and can provide a safe uh, trip. Uh, whereas in-house, you know, uh, as Matt said, it's really important to have a champion. And then, you know, sort of in my role in leadership, it's, it's the job to try and make that sustainable so it doesn't disappear uh, if that champion maybe moves on to a different school, which we know in international education is quite a transient uh, workplace. Um, and so that is, you know, putting policies and systems in place to make sure that um, even vetting external providers and making sure that, you know, they have proper procedures in place to, to do risk assessments and, and medical certifications and all those things is in place. Um, but yeah, we uh, want the teachers who know the kids uh, and know the curriculum uh, to do a lot of the leadership there uh, and provide, you know, a good opportunity for the kids. Uh, that's, that's the role kind of within the school. And then uh, the external provider um, really putting together an awesome itinerary in collaboration with those teachers and providing that, you know, safe, awesome uh, environment once we land on the ground uh, outside of the country. So both, um, but really with two pretty distinct uh, different roles. We do run some national trips uh, that are predominantly teacher-led, but anything international, we're counting on an external provider. Perfect. Fantastic. And, and now I'm really sort of keen to look at some of the, the real key benefits and, and, and the sort of real life examples that, that each of you have um, 
uh, sort of done in your own school context. So it'd be great to have a few examples of some sort of key outdoor learning strategies um, that each of you have tried um, and maybe if had sort of really great impacts um, to, to your students. Um, and then maybe looking at some maybe you have tried that maybe haven't landed as, as desired and, and maybe why that was. Um, but yeah, it'd be great to, to, to hear some of those sort of key examples. Um, who'd like to who'd like to kick off with that one? I can start here. Um, so uh, early years, we worked with a core book and um, we have something called um, open learning. So during this time of the day, children uh, from three to six years old, they can choose where they want to learn. So they can go outdoors or indoors. And um, we have continuous provision and we also have some enhancements. So um, I think that a uh, uh, success uh, that we had uh, last year was uh, when we worked with the book, we're going on a bear hunt. So here in Brazil, it's usually very hot. Uh, we don't have the seasons or it, it doesn't snow in Sao Paulo. Um, and we made sure to prepare each environment outdoors um, with natural resources. So mud and ice, those different types of uh, sensorial experience and children, they, they, just love to explore outdoors and um, have different sensations and um, have a, a better understanding of the natural um, environment from the book. I think that it gave them um, real experience from what the, the, the characters from the book were going through. So we tried to go with, uh, with the wind and with the cold and it was um, fantastic. It was... Uh, very nice to see children's engagement and learning. And one of the things that didn't work last year as well, we worked with a picture book that is called Sidewalk Flowers. And we planned an outdoor trip to a park that was near our school. So it's in our neighborhood and parents join us. And the, the main reason for the, the trip was to go on a nature treasure hunt. Uh, and in the end, children, they were just like, looking forward to spend time with parents. That was amazing. But they were trying to have picnic and play with the toys. So the natural uh, hunt didn't work really well, but yeah, it was an amazing experience. But the main objective of the trip was not achieved. Lots of learnings along the way, I imagine though. And you can, I suppose you can adapt that to the next, the next trip you do, right? And uh, yeah. I've got one that I can share. Um, I've got a little worksheet here. So if we can see on the on the camera, yeah. um, this is a worksheet that when I was a teacher, and we actually run this and give this to um, schools to use. Um, it's a maths worksheet that takes the students outdoors. So, for example, in the, the environment where this was, there was lots of nettles on the school campus. And so it's got the nutritional information of, of uh, a nettle next to it. And then it asks them some questions um, about the calorie content and how many nettles you would have to collect to give yourself 2000 calories. And um, it's got like the percentages of water in there. So uh, this is for a, a, a 14 year old uh, student to uh, kind of grapple with in, in group work. And they can go out on the campus and they can uh, forage and identify the materials uh, and plants that they're looking for and then answer the questions along the way. Um, this worksheet's really good because it gets them um, identifying 
the outdoor environment. So they're learning about nature and what's around them. Um, and then they're also doing something which fits into the curriculum. And this particular worksheet fits into the curriculum with maths, uh, science, and also uh, food tech and home, home economics as well. So one of the joys, one of the wonders I think of being in an outdoor environment is, and Kenny kind of touched on this a little bit, it lifts the restrictions of being focused on just one subject or one topic, and you can add a load together. Um, on the back of the worksheet um, are, uh, if necessary, some of the poisons that are in that environment. So, uh, you know, the students are also getting educated on the dangers of the environment and they can uh, risk assess and then they can look after themselves when they're outdoors as well. Um, if you guys want to copy this, I'm, I'm happy to send it out to everybody and you can customise it and replace it with the plants that are in your local area and have a play around with it. Brilliant. Thanks, Matt. Well, I definitely have you know, a million ideas, um, but I'll just share a couple. I think some of the most important things we can do is just the plain old observation skills, like a, a sit spot where you just sit for five minutes and observe, either do some sort of sound mapping or some sort of sketching or just do nothing at all and just listen and, you know, focus, pay attention to what's around you. I think that's pretty crucial because um, kids – nowadays don't really have that opportunity they're in front of the screens or, or they're in a building and they don't really tune in to natural sounds natural odors textures you know feeling the mud feeling the moss so just engaging the senses i think um i'm a big fan of scavenger hunts i think you, you said yours didn't work uh daniela but sometimes they do sometimes they don't it just always depends but i like sending kids out to find uh, cool you know, nature scavenger hunts and things. And one of the things I think is crucial and you won't believe this, but I, this is a true story. I had a, an IB graduate that was going to university standing with me on the riverbank. And he point blank said, so how does the, the water get to the river? And I was flabbergasted because I know in grade seven, I teach the water cycle. You know, it's a standard lesson. I know he was a really smart kid that had graduated with an IB diploma, but I don't think he had ever connected the academic book learning that he had that was such a high level to the real world where he could see a watershed and see the clouds and stand on the slope and see how the condensation, precipitation, all that, you know, watershed than water cycle terminology was real life so i think making those connections are crucial and just being outdoors and seeing what you've learned about in the textbook experiencing it gives you a context and gives meaning so taking those lessons whatever you've learned in the classroom and translating it into an experience outside i think that's probably the most important thing we can do I'll zoom uh, back out to kind of a, a bigger, broader level. Um, great examples. Um, you know, in the planning, you, you really want to make sure that um, your trips are developmentally appropriate um, when you're planning one, specifically if it's an international trip. Um, you know, I'm always talking about kind of trying to find that sweet spot where kids are challenged, uh, but they're not miserable. Um, you know, if, if students live a life of comfort and privilege, you know, a seven night camp uh, in the jungle 
uh, for a grade seven is is probably not going to go very well. And and our school, I know in the past has had some trips that, you know, probably push kids well beyond their comfort level. Um, so with that really comes good planning. You know, what is what is the clear mission or intent of the trip? You know, is it really service based? Is it adventure based? Um, you know, is it team building based, which we like to do have a lot of in middle school, because it's really that challenging time in the life where middle schoolers are trying to figure out their relationships and, um, you know, learn to be kind uh, to, to everybody. Um, so having a real clear intent, trying to find that right amount of challenge and activities that fit well for it, um, working with teachers to get them engaged uh, where it fits within their curriculum um, so that they have some buy-in and they're excited to attend the trips. Um, and then getting the kids really excited about it as well, you know, bringing kids in uh, that are older that might have been on that trip in the past to kind of help be cheerleaders for it or, or having parent testimonials, um, all of those things that kind of build the why uh, for, for doing such a trip. Um, and then just really great communication, I think, is essential uh, throughout to make parents feel um, comfortable uh, that their child is first and foremost going to be safe and going to be learning um, that it's worth them leaving school for potentially a week uh, to engage in in a week without walls trip or something similar. Um, and what doesn't go well is is if one of those pieces isn't in place uh, or or you maybe misjudge your audience. Um, for years, my school did trips to Nepal. It's just a 40 minute flight away to Kathmandu. We chose not to do a Nepal trip um, this year. There's an election coming up. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy we did. There was, of course, just the very recent tragic uh, plane crash of Yeti Airlines, uh, and that would have not gone over well with our parent community had we did that. So knowing, knowing your community uh, is really essential in, in planning those trips, but it can go really wrong if you, if you misjudge uh, maybe the risk tolerance of, of your students and your family, and you can spend a lot of time um, convincing or having to change your plans completely. So I think this year we're fortunate that we, I, I think, judged uh, and planned appropriately for our for our students and our families. That's a really interesting point there, Chris. You touched on about um, easing the anxieties of parents as well. Because imagine if you are doing, you know, a bigger trip for a week, um, you know, a week without wars. That's quite a there's quite a few few things that could potentially go wrong. But also if you plan correctly, then 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 that will minimize all, all chances of that. Um, and so, but how how do you, you know, for, for, for parents that are more anxious, um, how do you overcome those anxieties? Are there, are there certain techniques that you've used that, that parents have responded to well? I could. Uh, yeah, you know, the, oh, go ahead. You first, Matt. Uh, no, you carry on. You were on a roll there. That's good. Um, you know, predict knowing what they want to know. Um, you know, for example, um, parents are really concerned about accommodation. So uh, we often partner with uh, Prem's visiting school program in Chiang Mai. That's our one of our go-to grade six or seven trips. It's close by. It's very safe. It's partnered with a school. You know, they've got great security. Kids stay in a dorm. So just something simple like having pictures of the dormitory where they're going to say safe and clean, um, having pictures of the, the activities they're going to do. Um, parents get really worried when their kids are out on a boat. You know, they think the worst that it's going to be some rickety raft. Um, so just being able to have those visuals um, to, to anticipate uh, as, a, as a group of, that's leading a trip, what are the things the parents are really going to be worried about? Um, because safety is, is first and foremost their concern. You know, for most of my grade sevens, this is going to be the first trip they've done without their parents. You know, for about two and a half years, Bangladesh was almost totally shut down and schools were closed due to the pandemic. Um, so they were quite little kids, um, you know, in, in grade four and grade five, understandably weren't traveling um, w without their parents. 
Um, and so there is a lot of that anxiety. So getting all of your ducks in a row with a really clear plan um, and then having um, a big parent informational session um, where you outline that and, and really cheerlead and get excited for it. Um, share that clear rationale and all of those wonderful pictures you have about what a safe and amazing experience it has. And then being really willing to engage with small groups or individual parents that have their own concerns or want to come and talk to you. So really just having an open door and making time for them, especially the very influential parents uh, who might come forward sort of on behalf of the larger group um, because they feel more comfortable doing so um, and helping to assure them which then has that ripple effect of the rest of maybe the grade level getting um, on board with a trip. So I guess in short, just really good planning, anticipation of what parents want to know, and then just building that um, excitement. I talk to the kids all the time and say, wow, it's just eight weeks away and we're going to be in, in Cambodia together um, where I'm taking the ninth graders this year. Um, good planning and great communication will help to uh, reduce a lot of the anxiety of parents. Yeah, I think Chris um, hit that exactly dead on exactly what I was going to say as a as an outdoor provider now from going from teaching to being almost on the other side of the fence. It's, uh, it's very it's a very good thing to do, actually, if you ever uh, think about uh, making the change, because you have such an insight as a teacher uh, for what you know you want uh, from people. And a lot of it is that clarity and honesty. So um with uh, parents, I always do a PowerPoint and Chris hit it on the head again, just um, show them pictures, show them the environment that they're going to be in, show them the excitement that um, is produced by those images of the place that they're going to. Um, and then the preparation behind that, give the parents the risk assessments, give them the emergency plan and see um, who are your qualified first aiders on the team. Let them see the expertise of the team leaders and the people that are going um, on that trip and are going to be leading that trip. Um, give them as much information as you can about it, um, even down to the menus. Which is really important. I'll add on that. You know, you really, uh, you know, I live in a country that's predominantly Muslim. So is halal food available? Um, there's a yeah. large Hindu population here. Are we going to have vegetarian food? Um, you know, you want to make sure that that parents know that their kids are going to eat uh, and and enjoy the foods that they have. And so, yeah, I didn't mention food, but I, I, I smiled when he said it because it is um, one of the most important things parents want to know. Is my kid going to get food that they like? Yeah. Right. Daniela, Kenny, um, any other thoughts on that? Yeah. So um, we do have the risk assessments and we we run a briefing with parents to go through. Um, the risk assessment and the trip and the main reasons and get everybody on board and excited about it. It's easy with the children. Um, and we also have um, um, individual ones for special needs children. And we meet with individual individualized meetings with parents from those children. So it's a separate thing. So I think it also helps a lot, gives them like more security about what is happening and they trust you. So it's easier. Yeah, I was going to add a couple more. I think everything you've all said is spot on. Um, another couple of things that I think are important are like a recce or a site survey with someone from the school so that they can document it and, you know, see the spot, see the hotel, see the restaurant, see the trails. And if the school can send someone for a couple of days to see it, if time, you know, if time allows for something like that, that's important. I've also led parent and trips like they've loved the, the kids love the trip so much that 
they get two or three families together and they want to do a trip. And I think that leads to the other thing, which we say we want a, a, a teacher as a champion. If you have a parent as a champion, that's worth gold because they'll go and tell everybody like we've done this trip five times and we love it. And we've seen all kinds of cool animals and we've rafted and we've hiked and we've ate delicious food. And then they sell it to the other parents. And I think that, you know, everything com- that, that everyone else said combined with that and you've got a winner. It's, it's going to be a good formula. Brilliant. And yeah, I mean, like you've all outlined, the, the benefits are, are just just so, there's so many benefits for, for students to, to get them outdoors, to, to bridge that gap between learning in the classroom and, and outside. And, and, you know, that that value is, is quite clear, I'm, I'm sure. Um, and then sort of leading into how that fits into the curriculum and how, you know, selective universities view view outdoor learning. It'd be great to to get each of your thoughts around. Um, you know, is it seen positively for, from the from the universe, university's perspective? Um, and is it is it a value, genuinely valued part of the curriculum um, at schools uh, for for higher education institutions? Yeah, so I could maybe start off with that. Um, what on our um, expeditions, especially when you. Uh, go to the Arctic um, with uh, the Polaris teams and you go to Peru and do some of the humanitarian aid based activities, um, they actually hold a great deal of value. Um, you know, the academic thing is is great. There's a lot of competition in academia, but a lot of the top universities, they, they want to see uh, young people that have an edge and that edge is often in life experience. Uh, I'm not just talking about kind of like your generic trip to go here or to go there with a um, a, a company that might just kind of churn uh, young people through an activity. Um, you want to you want to try certainly as a teacher, you want to try and create something really meaningful um, and impactful, and um, that makes uh, connections between people and environments and kind of brings the whole thing together um almost sounds a bit corny really but um it it can be very very life-changing for everyone involved and i know that probably um all of you have 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 seen that and uh, can definitely testify of it so um if you do plan a trip that goes somewhere or you're using somebody um this may not be something all the time because you might have different objectives for different trips that go to different places but um on some of our um places that we go to we have real contacts with indigenous people in those different areas and we ask them what they need and then the students will train and prepare and then go out and fulfill a real need something that's actually uh, worth something to the people they're helping and then makes those genuine connections and when you take that on a piece of paper via a reference uh, written by one of your leaders or one of your teachers talking about the character of that young person, um, some of their attributes and their qualities about how maybe how honest they are, how hardworking they are, uh, how compassionate they are. It's a really strong standing point for a young person to take to a, a further institute of education or an employer, um, and it makes them stand out. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Go okay. ahead. I was just going to say recently I've been writing some references for students to transfer to back to American high schools. And one of the questions I'm seeing a lot is their leadership skills. And, you know, I don't necessarily see that in my classroom, but what I can do is talk about their leadership skills and some of my extracurricular or some of my trips and talk about how 
Um, they were really work well with their peers. They, you know, they emerged as a leader during a trip. So I see a lot more value in that because you don't always see it in a traditional classroom. And quite often, I definitely have lots of case studies where I've seen students that were not excelling in the classroom, but then they suddenly excelled in my life skills course. And that I'm like, okay, that's awesome. Now I know what you're really good at and I can mention that. So I think it really has some value for that. Absolutely. I was going to hit on that as well. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, you know, it, it does give uh, letter of reference writers, particularly for U.S. admissions, where that holds a lot of weight, um, a lot more to talk about um, for students, particularly those that that may not excel uh, as much as their peers in a traditional classroom setting. But it also gives the students really something interesting to write about in their own uh, admissions based essays. Um, you know, oftentimes uh, admissions essays are very broad topics about, you know, times they've uh, overcome adversity or been challenged and you know, kids often write about very surface level stuff, uh, you know, the time that they had to run a lot in soccer practice or something like that. And it's kind of a blah essay. Um, but, you know, adventure education experiences provide students with opportunities to challenge themselves in meaningful ways and challenge them to be reflective, reflective and to support each other uh, and to step into leadership roles. You know, highly selective universities uh, everyone's got great grades, right? That's kind of a given with a university that accepts two, three, four percent of students. So they really are looking for that differentiation factor. They're looking to build kind of an interesting group of students that they bring in uh, and students who have those real life experiences, as Matt and Kenny touched on, um, and can write about that well and, and talk about their experiences with some depth. Um, are interesting uh, and and perhaps give them that edge over a student who um, you know might have gotten a 45 out of 45 on their IB world exams and a near perfect score on their SAT, but doesn't have that extra layer um, of life experience or or um, interesting uh, you know times in their high school life. Uh, I don't have a lot of experience with the university, but I can definitely say that um. The outdoors helps a lot with uh, developing social and emotional skills and the characteristics of effective learning that children should take throughout their um, education life So and, and real life. So uh, definitely, I'm sure that it helps a lot and it's going to make a difference in their future. And, and just sort of moving on to the question of around, you know, the fact that um, for schools and teachers, the, the sort of new to the concept of outdoor learning or, or learning outdoors, um, where where might each of you advise that they start thinking about if, if they'd really like to develop, if they listen to this or they're thinking about it already um, and they'd love to develop some kind of an outdoor learning program in their own school, um, especially if it's trickier in a more sort of heavily urban environment, um, where where might they start? Any any thoughts or ideas about about some advice that you might uh, you might impart to to someone that's getting inspired by this or is already thinking about it um, and they don't know where to start? Any any thoughts around that? Yeah, I could start there. Um, I I've trained a lot of outdoor education uh, leaders for many schools around the UK, um, and many of those have gone abroad to the international sector and taken that with them. And uh, one of the things that um, I say to them often to uh, the, these teachers to kind of when, when they start off with, I just ask them, what do you like? What do you like? What are you interested in? Or or if you've got no skills whatsoever, what would you like to be? Uh, what would, skills would you like to gain? Uh, and uh, often with teachers, because um, they're so busy and they have so much to do, 
um if you give them something that can um become a hobby for them or they become very passionate about that's a real key for the continuation chris mentioned this you know in the international sector where you've got a turnover of teachers that's really high how are you going to keep the um sustainability of those activities moving forward year after year so that your school um is still being enriched after that teacher has left and a lot of it is about first of all um helping the teacher um find a, a bit of passion getting them the very best training that you can get them so that they're safe and they're proficient um stay within the remit of that proficiency as they develop so don't don't um run before you can walk kind of thing um and allow it to allow it to progress um sometimes getting you know somebody like me in uh, to the school and saying less who's been doing this for many years and and get a bit of exterior help as well that's always a really good thing um i myself when i was a teacher i would ask my leadership uh, to send me on training courses and i would say i'll i'll do this in my own time or or like what kenny was saying um do it if the school can provide for it get on some training courses get out there um and then disseminate what you've learned down to the students and it brings the whole thing together and if it's done um sensibly and not too quickly if you like then uh, it will be extremely safe and there'll be a consistency of excellence that will just rise and rise. I think a, a couple of really cool places to start are in your classroom, set up a nature table or a nature corner. And so if you're a teacher and you go for hikes and you find, you know, insects or skeletons or skulls or berries or twigs or leaves, just bring them in and get the, the students interested. And I think that works for all levels, you know, primary, middle, and high school. Because if you find a snake skull out hiking, everyone's going to want to see it. And then it, you, once you get that reputation, people will start bringing things to you. And it, it happens to me all the time. People bring me cool things that they found over the weekend. And that gets people intrigued. And that can lead to more like a weekend trip. So I think start there, bringing stuff into the classroom. Do something on campus if your campus allows for it. Or if not, go to a nearby park, but start small, like a half day trip or a full day trip, just a nature hike or, you know, an observation type trip. And hopefully that can lead into, you know, a longer type trip, a week without walls or an education outside the classroom type uh, experience. And the other one is one way that I started when I moved to Asia, I didn't know anything about Southeast Asian ecology. So I looked for experts. I volunteered for the Malaysian Nature Society. I went with all the birders. Um, I know that in Bangkok, there's a teacher that leads urban nature hikes. I know in China, people I've talked to, they have similar things like people are leading nature hikes in urban areas looking for birds and insects and moss and trees, anything they can find. So find, you know, clue into those uh, type people that are experts and learn from them and then bring, bring all that back to your classroom and get your kids excited. Um, I agree with Kenny. I would go with the local, um, start small. And I think that's something that helps a lot as well as when you have your block planning. So you can start thinking about um, trips and, and opportunities, experiences. I think that it also gives teachers time to plan 
and 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 don't get um, so rushed because um, we are busy planning and 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 doing activities and so many things happen. So I think that when we have time to think, plan ahead, and we know how things are going to happen, when it's going to happen, I think it's a good way to to begin with. Yeah, think strategically and systematically. Uh, don't rush it and, and start small. Um, start with the people that are really excited already uh, instead of trying to convince everyone uh, that they have to plan something um, because you, you'll face a lot of resistance when you're initially trying to build you know, a school culture that values the outdoors and experiential learning. Um, but think about you know, where maybe does the school want to be in one year, three years, and five years um, where can stuff be intentionally embedded in the curriculum? You know, our grade 10 trip is going to Tioman Island in Malaysia, and it's, uh, you know, an IB uh, math and science interdisciplinary unit, you know, where they're collecting data, uh, you know, kind of ecology-based in mangroves and uh, coral reefs and different biomes. Um, so it has that clear curricular connection. Those teachers are on board with that. But then it also becomes something you do every year. You know, we, we go to Tioman in grade 10. Um, and uh, it, it lives, you know, well beyond uh, the, the population of teachers that might come or go. Um, yeah, anything that you want to uh, embed, you've got to value it, you've got to talk about it, um, and you've got to uh, be strategic uh, when planning it. So um, the parents are confident that it's going to be done and going to be done well. Fantastic. Any, any other thoughts on that before we move on to, on to the last question? And I think, um, you know, Chris and Matt really touched on that piece around how to embed it sustainably into the curriculum. So it doesn't leave with one person. And like Matt said, you know, the international school sector is quite transient and people move to every two, three years. Um, so, that, you know, getting that knowledge going with one person is is such a shame, isn't it? Especially if they put a lot of work in building up an outdoor learning program. So um, are there any other things that you can speak of, um, each of you, around how to genuinely embed a sustainable outdoor learning program into a school? Um, any other thoughts on that? You know, it's a question I ask when I'm recruiting, which is uh, a huge portion of my every waking moment uh, this time of year, trying to fill positions. Uh, you know, um, I'm asking teachers about their experience and their comfort level, um, taking kids outside of the classroom, big and small. It doesn't mean necessarily flying uh, to Malaysia, um, but but science teachers that like to take kids outside of the classroom or, or art or whatever it might be, um, so that you're, you're kind of looking for that um, as part of the recruitment process. I think that's one way that I try. Uh, and embed it and make sure that it carries on. Um, and, and also, as Matt said, um, building good relationships with experts, you know, finding who's out there, um, vetting them carefully, of course, but then working with them year after year so that somebody coming in doesn't have to find somebody uh, and do all that legwork. So establishing those relationships and the experts locally and maybe on a more international scale um, can take a lot of the heavy lifting off of teachers who um, are doing a ton of day-to-day -day work and, and teaching and assessing. I think part of um, the problem with your question, Max, is it's you could spend hours actually talking about the answer to that. And um, Chris is in a, a, a great spot being leadership. I liked what he said about, you know, he's, he's looking for teachers that have um, extra, um, they're interesting people, they have extra skills and things like that. And Daniela also talked about, um, you know, teachers are always planning they're always they'd love to always innovate outside of the box um but teachers they are 
put in a box and they have to operate quite uh, linearly down the line that they've been given by uh, the senior leadership. So uh, Chris's in, insight into that is, um, I think, really important for other leaders to kind of take on board because at the end of the day, um, um, people, teachers, like what Kenny said about, you know, starting a nature table in the class, any teacher can do that at any time. Um, but if you want to embed uh, a, a program into a school which is going to last and it's going to keep going, then people like um, people need to listen to what Chris said and um, think, right, OK, um, leadership is the leadership going to allow time and money to produce something which is going to keep going? And the amount of time and money which is then given to that will determine how big that program can be and how sustainable it's going to be as well. Sorry, Daniela, Kenny, any, any other final thoughts on, on that building a sustainable model? I think one thing that, that is crucial and it's a pragmatic thing is getting it on the annual calendar. And I think every school has a calendar phase where they put, you know, their trips on. And once it's on the calendar, it kind of lives there forever until someone says, oh, why don't we take this off? So I think that's a pragmatic sort of, if it's on the calendar, it's going to happen. And I, and I also think that when it's part of the curriculum, um, it, it also helps. So it's in the calendar, it's in your planning, and it's part of the curriculum. It's one of the expectations to go outdoors, to, to plan those kind of activities to bring real life experience to children. So I think yeah, it also helps a lot. Fantastic. And yeah, sadly that brings the, us to the end of that, the, the conversation, but it's, yeah, it's been absolutely fascinating. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, even when I, you know, personally speaking, when I was young, I remember going out in, in primary school and secondary school, you know, the odd time that we did go out and have uh, trips outdoors, it was always very memorable and um, has stuck with me. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, genuinely inspiring. So I hope, I hope educators around the world are going to be inspired by, by listening to, to your guys' experiences and, um, and yeah, maybe we can do a part two and, uh, Thank you all, all again for your for your time. Yes, thank you. Thanks to everyone for their expertise and ideas. I definitely have learned a lot from your different perspectives. Yeah, thank you guys. Really appreciate it.